Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to chapter 4, verse 1. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Thank you, Sonny. In the days of Jesus, in the Jewish synagogues, the teachers sat down. So I'm just trying to be biblical and be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. One of the things that unites us as a church is we are praying for ourselves, praying for uh, leaders, praying for small groups, praying for life groups, praying for missionaries. And you can join with us if you will go to the app. Um, Longview FBC and uh, download that app and every morning at 9.03 there will be another prayer prompt if you'll just go on the app you'll go to the profile you'll be able to bring up the prayer prompts I hope that you'll take advantage of that and would you turn in your Bibles to the very passage that Sonny read for us Philippians chapter 3 we're in this series called Joy in Troubled Times several weeks ago Jordan asked me if I would do a Q&A with the students, and I love to do that. It just, it's a lot of fun, and after having done it so many times, I think I kind of know the questions they're going to ask. Um, could you explain predestination? Uh, if, if, if pot is legal, can we smoke it? Can we use it? Um, can, you, can you tell me how far I should go on a date with a guy or, or with a girl? But when we sat on the stage, Jordan and myself in front of the students, the first question told me I was in trouble. Because the question was this, was the American Revolution a biblically justifiable war? <laughs> I said, Jordan, that question has your name all over it. So <laughs> they were great questions. And what was so interesting is some of them were questions like you would expect uh, questions about how do I know God's will for my life and what do I do when I doubt? But m so many of the questions had to do with how do we live as Christians in a culture that is opposed to our faith and our values? Like, do I be become friends with uh, uh, someone who's gay or a lesbian? And what about a trans person, transgendered? How, how should I think about that? And should I become friends with someone like that? And that time of, of Q&A reminded me of a book I read in 1976 written by Francis Schaeffer, who was a Presbyterian missionary living in Switzerland and opened his chalet, opened his home, he and Edith, to as many young adults who were backpacking across Europe to come and sit down and talk in a rational way about biblical Christianity. And so many of those who came to Labrie, what he called the Labrie Fellowship, 
became leaders in the worldwide church of God today because Schaefer said, honest questions demand honest answers. Honest questions deserve honest answers. And what Paul does in Philippians, as well in so many other writings, is he gives honest answers to honest questions, and he teaches us how do we live as Christians in a culture that in many ways runs counter to our faith and our values. Now, last week, we actually began the first part of a two-part sermon. This is the second part of what was happened last week because we asked the same question, how do you live the Christian life? And we said, uh, I said four things last week. Let me just kind of repeat them, and then we're going to get into the text that, that Sonny read that we're going to look at. Paul said, never lose the wonder of the gospel. Paul said, I'm, I'm taking hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Christ took hold of me, and he's recalling when Christ appeared to him on the Damascus Road, and that, that was that dramatic conversion experience that he had. And every single Christian can say the same thing, even though your conversion was not as dramatic as Paul. Christ took hold of you. He interrupted your life. You were being interfered with from something, someone outside of you. It was the Lord himself who took hold of you and made you his own and adopted you into his family. And so as Christians now, like Paul, we say, I just can't believe he would pursue me. I can't believe out of 7.8 billion people on the planet, he would grasp me. And now in the wonder of that, I've got to figure out why he grasped me and what he wants me to be and, and to do. So never lose the wonder of your faith. Here's the second thing we said, that the Christian life is a lifelong journey. Paul says, I haven't arrived. He pictures himself, pictures himself as a runner in one of the, the races, and the goal is Christ's likeness. And Paul says, I'm, I haven't reached Christ's likeness like I want to. I'm satisfied with Jesus. I'm not satisfied with my own progress. And what he's saying is, I'm not perfect yet. Have you ever been around a perfectionist? It's a lot of fun, isn't it? Perfectionists are people who take pains and give pains to other people. And Paul says, my, go my goal is not perfection, it's progress. I want to make progress in becoming like Christ. We've all got room to grow. And as long as we're breathing, we can grow. There's more of Jesus to experience, more of his grace, more sin to repent of, more of his love to, to enjoy. And what I said last week is that God is in the business of growing oaks of righteousness, not mushrooms. And it's a lifelong process that he takes. We live in an, we are imperfect, broken people living in an imperfect, broken world with imperfect, broken people who are manifesting and demonstrating imperfection and brokenness all the time. And so Paul encourages us to be patient be patient with ourselves, be patient with other people, and keep growing. Here's the third thing he said. He said, one thing I do, he's got this single-minded focus. Uh, he's a one-thing man. He's not dabbling in a lot of different things. He says, I press on uh, toward the goal. He's picturing a runner running. I really believe Paul was a sports fan. I think he was. Listen to a couple of passages, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, 
but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There's focus there. Or Hebrews 12, not sure that Paul wrote that, probably didn't. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely. What keeps me from being fully devoted to Jesus? It could be something sinful. It could be something that's not sinful. But the writer of Hebrews says we need just to leave it to one side and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We saw that last week Paul said part of living for Jesus, living the Christian life, is forgetting some things. Now, for some of us who are older, that's not hard. I forget stuff all the time. My wife sends me to the store for bread and milk, and she says, you want me to write this down? No, I got it, I got it. I come back home with pickles and orange juice. That's not the kind of forgetting Paul is talking about here. Not forgetting because we, we tend to get overloaded and committed and all kinds of things going on in our mind, we just forget. No, he says, there are a couple of things that we need to forget. We need to forget our failures. We need to put our failures in the past because they're covered by the blood of Jesus. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Paul had failures as a lost person and then as a Christian. Um, Paul simply said, I will not live in the past. The future will define me. And I'm not suggesting that we forget God's grace in our life and God's goodness. In these interviews that I'm having with folks, uh, I met with one lady who told me when she first came to fellowship, uh, she went to a women's event, and she told the person who was kind of leading the event, she said, you need to understand I'm a divorced woman. And I love what that woman said. She said, you need to understand this is a place of grace. I just put those, my failures, I put them in the past. And he says, I forget my achievements because my achievements can cause me just to sit back and coast and to drift. Paul could have said, I've written 13 letters of the New Testament, I'm going to the beach. But he didn't do that. He's continuing to, to press on. I'm reminded of a movie when I look at some Christians and watch how they live. So when I look at my own life sometimes, watch how I live. I'm reminded of a great theological movie, Napoleon Dynamite. And some Christians remind me of Uncle Rico, who is this middle-aged guy who lives in this van or camper and spends his time videoing himself throwing a football. He's living in the glory days. He used to be a quarterback back in high school. I don't recommend the movie, but he's living on the, on the basis of his achievements. And Paul says, I am continuing to grow, and I'm pressing toward one thing, and that is Christ-likeness. Texas A&M won yesterday, didn't we? There's a few fans here. <laughs> you know what Jimbo Fisher said to his team after the game was over? He said, let's enjoy this moment and then get ready for next week. That's how you live the Christian life. Let's enjoy, but let's think forward. Let's think future. I would just ask this question. What one change could you make in your life that would help you to pursue Christ with all your heart? What's one thing you could start? What's one thing you could stop 
that would help you press forward uh, with the Lord. Here's the fourth thing. Eye on the prize. The upward call of Jesus for the prize that he presents. I was telling someone before the service, uh, I got into running and uh, my first half marathon was the St. Jude half, St. Jude Marathon and Half Marathon in Memphis. And in that run, you run right through the campus of St. Jude Hospital. And there are parents with their little children who are so sick with cancer. And they're standing there and holding signs saying, thank you for running. Thank you for giving. Thank you for uh, being a part of this. And he's tear up and it's hard to run through St. Jude. But the race ends at the Redbird Stadium. And as you're running toward the stadium, you begin to hear the crowd cheering. And I know that my wife, my daughters are up there in that crowd. And they're, they're cheering. And you're around the corner in, in, into the infield. And you begin to run around. And there are thousands of people in the stands cheering. And the thought occurred to me that day, I wonder if it's like this when you die. And you hear people cheering. There he is. There he is. There he comes. And you see people you know, and you're running, but you don't run to them. You run to King Jesus. You bow down at his feet. He embraces you and lifts you up. I wonder if it was like that. Eye on the prize. Paul says you live the Christian life thinking about the time you will stand before Jesus. Now, that's all introduction this morning. So let me read the text one more time, and I will give you quickly three other things that Paul says about living the Christian life. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says this, find some godly examples to follow. Get your eye on some people, as best you can tell, who are pursuing Christ, who say, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. People who are sold out to Christ, get your eye on them. Find some godly examples, people that you can model yourself after, because that's the way we learn anything, isn't it? How does a little baby learn to talk? The little baby listens to parents, listens to siblings, and begins to imitate them. How do we learn anything? We watch someone, and we begin to imitate them. And one of the ways that we grow as a Christian, no matter our age, is we find people who are a little further along than we are, and we watch them, and we imitate them. And that's what Paul says. Find someone like that because we tend to become like the people we follow. We tend to become like the people we follow. And some of us say, well, I, I don't have anybody like that. I, I don't have any good examples in my life. Who have been the godly examples in your life? Who has most influenced you to walk with Jesus? Who has that person been? And you say, well, I, I'm not sure I have anybody. Here's the wonderful thing. We have in the Bible a multitude of godly examples that we can follow. Let me tell you one of mine, just right quick. It was a man named Caleb. Let me read to you from Joshua chapter 14. Caleb stands as they're entering the promised land. And says, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you've wholly followed the Lord your God. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these, 50, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 
85 years old. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then. This is like 85-year-old grandpa wrestling with the grandkids. He can still do it. His shirt's half unbuttoned. He's got the cold Jane around his neck. He's, I'm as strong now as I ever was. Caleb says, so now give me the hill country where the Lord spoke on that day, as you heard on that day, how the Anakim, these were the giants, were there. 85 years old. I want the greatly fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I'll drive them out, as the Lord said. That's exactly what happened. That's a model for me these days. 85 years old, still taking on challenges for the glory of God. And if you aren't sure what godly example to follow Look in church history. Let me tell you one of my models, one of my mentors. You ought to read dead guys. You want to read the story of dead people because they finished the race. His name was George Mueller. He cared for 10,000 orphans, set up orphanages for 10,000 orphans, and fed them daily by praying. And God providing. It's an unbelievable story. Here's what George Mueller said. I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. He said, every day, my main job, get happy in the Lord. Get happy in the Lord. The first thing is to be concerned. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much I might serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord but how I might get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man might be nourished. The more we know of God, the happier we are. When we become a little acquainted with God, our true happiness commences. And the more we become acquainted with Him, the more truly happy we become. What will make us so exceedingly happy in heaven, it will be the fuller knowledge of God. First business of the day, get happy in God, he says. And then he continued talking to some young Christians. Now in brotherly love and affection, I would give a few hints to my younger fellow believers as to the way in which to keep the spiritual enjoyment. It is absolutely needful in order that happiness in the Lord may continue that the scriptures be regularly read. These are God's appointed means for the nourishment of the inner man. Consider it and ponder over it. Especially we should read regularly through the scriptures consecutively and not pick out here and there a chapter. If we do, we remain spiritual dwarfs. I tell you so affectionately, for the first four years after my conversion, I made no progress because I neglected the Bible. But when I regularly read on through the whole with reference to my own heart and soul, I directly made progress. Then my peace and joy continued more and more. Now, I've been doing this for 47 years. I've read through the whole Bible about 100 times and find it fresh when I begin again. Thus my peace and joy have increased all the more. 71 years old. Telling the young bucks, get in God's word if you want to be happy. That's an example. Who is looking to you as an example? Who is watching you? I'll tell you another reason to pick godly examples, and that is there are a lot of bad examples out there. Paul calls them enemies of the cross. People who have no concern at all about the... And he's talking, I believe he is talking about people who are in the church who make claim to be Christians, but whose lives contradict their claim. Pretenders. They're faking it. He calls them 
enemies of the cross. They live selfish, self-absorbed lives. He says their end is destruction. I think that got everyone's attention. Forever without hope, without God, without love, without joy, because of a false profession. He says their God is their belly. That is, they live for their appetites. Their whole life is about fulfilling their lust. This life is all they know. He says they glory in their shame. Their behavior is sinful. It's sinful. It's shameful. But instead of hiding that, they boast of it. Isn't that the culture we live in? People who boast about what should be shameful? And Paul says, avoid them. Avoid them. They had their minds set on earthly things. What is most important to them is what has a price tag what they can purchase, what they can have now. They live only for the present moment. And Paul is not being judgmental because he says, I am saying this with tears. It's breaking his heart. He writes this and tears are splashing on the papyrus. Breaks his heart. So how do you live? You find a godly example because we tend to follow and imitate the people we have our eyes on. Here's a sixth thing. Remember your true citizenship. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. We live on earth, but if we're Christians, our citizenship is in heaven. It means we love our country, we serve our country, but our primary allegiance is not to our country. Our primary allegiance is to King Jesus because we are citizens of heaven, which makes us uncomfortable a lot of the time. And we're, we're strange. A.W. Tozer once wrote, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. He feels supreme love for one whom he has never seen. He talks familiar, familiarly every day to someone he cannot see. He expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to go up, is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, and happiest when he feels the worst. He dies so he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes knowledge. Because if your citizenship is in heaven, you, you know in Austin, Texas, they have a slogan. You see it on t-shirts, you see it on mugs, keep Austin weird, keep Austin weird. I want to say, let's keep the church weird. Let's not, like, no, let's not be like everyone else. I think Paul understood, you want to hear weird? He's just given us in Philippians weird, Philippians 127, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that where I come, whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Working together in unity? That's weird. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also the interests of others. That's weird. Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling. Talk about weird. I am trying with this stress fracture. I'm trying not to grumble. And I'm not being, I'm, I'm glad it's not perfection, but it's progress. Try not to grumble. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. 
you take seriously being a kingdom of another place, another world, and it will affect the way you think, the way you dress, the way you act, the way you relate. It'll affect your home. It will affect work. It will affect school. You see, Philippi was a Roman colony, and when people would come to Philippi, they would say, this feels just like Rome. Friends, it should be that when people show up to church because we are a colony of heaven set on earth so that people can see what life is like in heaven, we're a colony of heaven right here. When people show up here, they ought to say, you guys aren't from here, are you? This feels different. This feels like maybe what heaven would be like because you're united and you're working together. The church is a colony of heaven set on earth so people on earth can see what heaven is like. And he just says, recognize your true citizenship. And I'll give you this last one real quickly. He says, anticipate a glorious transformation. Listen to the words of Paul. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What is he going to do when he comes? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, he will fit us for heaven. New appetites, new desires, new, new thoughts. We'll be recognizable, but we will be glorious. We're waiting for that day. Have you ever heard someone say, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good? Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. If you read history you'll find that the Christians who did more for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. We anticipate, we look forward to a day when Jesus will appear and he will change us and we will be with him forever. So here are the seven things Paul says uh, that help us to live in our culture. Never lose the wonder of the gospel. The Christian life is a lifelong race. Single-minded focus. Eye on the prize. Find and follow godly examples. Recognize your true citizenship. And anticipate a glorious transformation. And I just remind you, as John did, this was written by a man sitting in prison, chained 24 hours a day. It should give us hope. And it doesn't dismiss all of the pain that some of us have been through. I don't mean to suggest that at all. But it should give us hope that we've not seen the end of this story. And God has something that will cause all the pain to be swallowed up in joy. This ought to give us hope. If you've seen the Chariots of Fire movie about Eric Little, that Scotsman who ran in the 1924 Olympics, stood on his convictions, ran a race that he had not trained for and won. You remember the scene where he, was, he actually went after the Olympics, he won the gold, went to China, served as a missionary, and died in a Japanese concentration camp in China. He was not running for gold. He was running for the prize, for the well-done, good and faithful servant. But in that scene, in the movie, he is standing there with his sister, Betsy, and she is urging him, don't run in the Olympics, let's get to China. And he says, Betsy, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. 
my prayer this week for all of us is that as we live and relate and work and home, we feel his pleasure because we have hope. We live in a world that's largely without hope. We have hope. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word that shoots straight, doesn't mince words, speaks with such clarity and conviction, calls us to joy. Pray, Lord, that we would be good stewards of what Paul is saying. And this week, Lord, let us live, help us to live in such a way, help us to make decisions in such a way that we sense your smile and look forward to that day when it will be more than a smile. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.